Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are Enda Campbell, who will be talking about the health of the nation. Larkin Burke will be telling us all about National Potato Day. Michael Summers will give us details of the new forestry scheme. And finally, Victor Quinlan will give us details of the 2023 Clonmel Show Bursary. My first guest this morning is James Milan from Chagas, and James is down in the Clonmel office. And we're going to be talking about the new rules around uh, soiled water in particular. Good morning, James, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, there are new rules with regard to how farmers treat soil water. And for those who don't understand what we're talking about, soil water, we're talking about water that comes out from milking parlours, uh, the washing thereof, etc., that go into separate tanks and has to be uh, eventually spread out on the land. So, James, what are the new rules? Okay, Jim. So yeah, so exactly as you said, there's the the, the treatment of the water from the, the washing of the plants and uh, the collecting yards afterwards. So the new rules, I suppose, um, this year for 2023, um, creamery milk farmers, um, spring milk farmers would have to store the so they can't they can't um, spread any slurry between soil water between the 10th of December and the 31st of December. So in effect, they need 21 days soil water storage, but from next year onwards they need to be able to store that soil water from the 1st of December until the 31st of December. So in effect, they need 31 days storage to be legal. And I suppose from a winter milk point of view and liquid herds, in 2023, they're required to have three-week storage. And in 2024, they're required to have 20, uh, four weeks and the same for 2025 onwards. So I suppose the, the key thing there is that regardless of whether or not you're milking cows in the month of December, legally you're still required from, as I said, from next year onwards to have 31 days storage, or from this year to have 21 days storage for, for spring midlands, and to have three and four weeks then for um, winter and, and liquid farmers from 2023 and 24 respectively. I suppose it's different from the current regulations, Jim, where at the moment farmers require 10 days storage, and if they attack at 2015, they only need 15 days, so in effect, really, it's doubled the amount of um, soil water storage on some farms and trebled it on other farms. So I suppose it's just to be, farmers need to be mindful of that. And I suppose looking at where they calculate or where they get these calculations from, so they're actually looking at, um, you know, it's 30 litres of cow is what they're allowing. They're getting that figured in from the peak number of cows that are milked on the farm. So just say, for instance, you have 100 cows milking on a farm yeah. in the month of June, you may be only milking 20 or 30 in the month of December, but the calculation is actually based on the peak number of cows that you milk in the month of June. So for 100 cows, you're looking at roughly 20,000 gallons of storage is what you require, or 93 metres cubed. So it's a significant amount of storage. But legally, regardless of whether you milk that number of cows in December, you're still required to have that storage, Jim. Right. Now, is this going to have... A big cost on farmers, or will most farmers who have made developments in the last 10 years be able to cope with that amount of storage, the 30 days or the 31 days or the four weeks? Yeah, Jim, so look, it does come with a significant cost to it. Mm. Um, look, I suppose any time when you're, when you're um, completing a building structure, 
there is a cost involved in it. A lot of farmers, I suppose, in the last maybe year or two would have known that those regulations were changing. So if there was any soil water tanks built in the last year or so, they probably would have taken into account that they needed to have 31 day storage going forward from 2020, from 2024 onwards. However, it's the lands that have the 10 day storage and the 15 day storage, uh, they do need to invest in order to upgrade their facilities for us. I suppose there is advantages in, in having the extra storage in that if you do, you know, you could get bad weather in the month of December. It takes a bit of pressure off the farm system if you can store this extra soil water and you don't have to spread it. Mm-hmm. It's extra storage on the farm. And, you know, instead of spreading it, you know, before, in during periods of weather where it's questionable whether you should be on the, traveling on the ground or not, you could store that and spread it later on in the year when the ground, when the grow conditions are improving, ground conditions are improving. So there is benefits from it as well. And obviously there's benefits from an environmental point of view in terms of water quality, but also from the farmer in terms of, you know, his nutrient use efficiency as well should improve as well if he can spread the story at a, better, at a more targeted time as opposed to having to spread it because he's short of storage. There is costs involved in it. I suppose there is TAMS grants, but the problem with the TAMS grant is that they don't, um, you'll only get grant aided for something if it's extra storage above the legal requirements. So if you don't meet the legal requirements at the moment, you won't be able to avail of a, of a TAMS grant to actually that building structure. It has to be done from your own funds. This might be a very stupid question, but a lot of farmers who made developments 15 years ago, a lot of that soil water would be going into the ordinary slurry tanks on the farm. Is that still Jim, allowable? So, Jim, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a very good question. And um, I suppose in a lot of farms that is the case. And if it, it, the problem with storing it with slurry on the farm is that you have to store the soil water for 16 weeks. So the minute you store soil water, dairy washings with slurry, it's no longer treated as soil water. It's now treated as slurry. So that has to be stored in for 16 weeks. So from a financial point of view, you're better that if you can separate out the soil water, the dairy washings, store it separately to cut down the cost of storage on the farm and also to increase your, your storage volume for slurry over the winter period. And I, of course, there is a cost in it, but I suppose it's about getting farmers ready, you know, for, for the rules going forward. And maybe at this stage, you know, it's probably not an ideal time of the year for building tanks, but, you know, maybe for planning for, you know, let's go look for planning permission and start planning for next spring if the teams are going to be short for next year. Um, now is the time to start thinking about and working out those calculations. But, like, you're basing it on the peak number of cows and... People often ask, why are they using the peak number of cows? The reason they use that is, I know John Upton would have done research in Moorpark, where they looked and they found that 25 litres of cow per day was the was the requirement mm-hmm. for soil water. The department are using the figure of 30 litres. So there is a bit of cushion built into that. Yeah. But I suppose what their point is, that if you're milking 10 cows or 100 cows, you normally use the same amount of water in the milking process for for washing down and for milk and for, for for washing the parlour or the plant itself, whether you're milking ten, fifteen, or a hundred cows, it's normally the same volume. Yeah, that's and a great, that's a very good point. It, it really is. You'd, even if you're only bring, washing for one cow, you're still washing the whole the whole plant. Yeah, that, that makes and sense. And you might suppose where farmers could make some changes that they couldn't, you know, maybe use like mm-hmm. the sunlight switches on the plate cooler 
yeah. so that the cool water is only going through the, the plate cooler as the milk is coming through, the, as the milk is being pumped through the plate cooler as well, yeah. so that it's not constantly flowing through. So that could be another way of a farmer, you know, trying to maximise maximize his storage as well. Now, legally, he'll still need the, 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 the 31 days, but, you know, at least... You know, you're 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 trying to maximise the storage you have in the farm. Then that's in that case as well. Before I let you go, then what's your main piece of advice to uh, farmers this morning with regard to uh, soil water? So I suppose that the main thing, Jim, is just to kind of calculate out what you require. Maybe just to keep a kind of a key figure of twenty thousand gallons of storage required for a hundred cows. Um, you know, also maybe look at the plate cooler to see can you minimise the amount of water going through it. You know, while you're still keeping the two to one ratio of water to milk, but also maybe look at you know shoots around collecting yards, just to make sure they're not overflowing. You know, there might be other options as well that you might you might be able to use to try and increase the storage by maybe, for instance, roofing parts of the collecting yard or all of the collecting yard as well. So there may be other options as well out there for farms. So I suppose now is the time to start looking at it. You know, start getting plans put in place. To have this own, you know, there's still a chance there before before the back end, but definitely for next spring onwards anyway, to put a plan in place to have that storage in place for for, for the coming year as well. Jim, maybe just as on on a side note there, right. one of my colleagues just asked me to um just to maybe advertise that there is a farm walk taking place on the on Thursday twelfth of October at half two, and it's a beef farm walk entitled "Getting Ready for for um the Winter." And it's held in conjunction with Chagas and Ireland. And it's on the farm of Richard Brennan in Holy Cross in Turles. The year code is E41FT04. Okay, thanks very much for all that, James. That listener is what? James Milan from Chagas. Listeners, my next guest is Enda Campbell. And Enda is a strategic wellbeing consultant with Irish Life. And we're going to be talking about the well-being of the nation and are we as fit as we should be at any given age. And I'm quite sure we're going to find out quite a bit about that now from Enda because they have just had a survey out on the health of the nation and Enda is going to bring us through the results. Good morning, Enda, and thanks very much for joining us. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, this survey that Irish Life has had on the health of the nation, I was a bit surprised that we are slipping a bit. We're not as good as we should be. Is that correct? That's the one, yeah, exactly. So basically the health of the nation research is a research report we provide and have uh, rolled out over the last five years. So since 2018, we use this research and we get a nationally representative sample of the population. Um, And what we do is we uh, track trends over time to see if we need to make changes to our benefits, to our well-being programs that we use with clients, and also just to see what supports that the people of of the country need. So really what the main kind of findings are is that over the last five years, the trends really have been that we're exercising less. Uh, We're also putting on um, a little bit more weight um, year on year. Um, And effectively, the mental health of the the country as well, probably no surprise to you, but unfortunately, um, there are negative trends here as well. So 
basically, um, I think, again, it would be no surprise that COVID has had a huge impact, but we are trending in the right direction um, since COVID. So in the last year or so, uh, we're making some small improvements, but overall, we're not as healthy as we um, were pre-COVID. Um, and also, there is a, a significant enough gap between how healthy we think we are versus how healthy we actually are in reality. And so that's maybe um, a little bit of a concern as well, is that we think we're doing a little bit better than we are. Right. Now, I know, Enda, that, uh, that there's a lot of surveys being done about our health, and I'm just thinking back uh, to one I myself was involved in. But they never come back to you. You know, because that's me taken at, we'd say, 55. And uh, 10 years later, I'm 65. They don't check back to know how I'm feeling at 65. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's um, yep. what we try and do is get a snapshot, um, you know, at the specific time to kind yeah. of see where people are feeling, as I say, putting interventions in place and knowing if we're going in the right direction in terms of what we should focus on. So, for example, um, if it's a case that our um, social scores or um, mm-hmm. there's an increase in, um, say, social anxiety is, is one of the big findings for, for this year as well, we know that we should be maybe focusing in that area uh, and putting mm-hmm. some support in place to, to support people. So that was a, that was a big finding um, as well. Last year, um, we have found that uh, social anxiety scores um, were a little bit worse uh, year on year. Uh, and as a result of that, we had a big focus on a, um, a an intervention and a program uh, in conjunction with the GAA. Um, and there's a, an app that we have called My Life as well, which um, we ran an activity challenge at the start of the year. So um, you may be familiar with the Operation mm-hmm. Transformation uh, program. Yeah. So uh, in conjunction with Operation Transformation, um, with the GAA as well, and, and the clubs that are around the country, we ran a, an activity challenge where we had nearly 30,000 people taking part. Um, this uh, will again be running for, for next year. Um, and what we found is that the while people got more active, which is obviously a really uh, fantastic thing uh, and something we want to see uh, trending in the right direction, but also that the social connection was a big byproduct that people really found getting together and exercising in a group a really positive impact um, from that intervention as well. So we know that a program like that um, is really positive for for the um, to address the kind of trend that we're seeing in the country and through the, the Health and Nation report uh, as well. So while there may not be follow-up specifically with an individual um, and some of the, mm-hmm. there are logistical challenges with that, we do know that if you know we're measuring the same things year on year that we can actually spot trends and see if we're making improvements in the, in the relevant areas as well. You're looking then, particularly there with your last answer, at both the physical and the mental health of the nation. And you said at the very beginning that, uh, you know, our mental health has suffered considerably, primarily because of COVID, I would imagine. There's a lot of people still suffering mentally from uh, COVID that kicked in in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still not fully recovered from it is, is the truth. So we're seeing a, a bit of a gap between how people perceive what their mental health is like and, and their resilience and their ability to um, to endure what was obviously a very tough um, time for everybody. There were some, as I say, some, some improvements in terms of how people think they're feeling, but 
the, the the most concerning thing in terms of mental health really was that the um, nearly half the amount of people that responded said that they're in severe or moderate distress. So that's a big increase in last year. Um, and again, the, the most notable change in 2023's report is that um, there is now an evening up in terms of men and women feeling equally distressed. So again, that would, that would be a big change this year is that um, men have kind of disimproved in terms of the um, underlying stress that they're feeling. So there's, there's a kind of a very high level of um, anxiety, uh, primarily social anxiety. And how we found this out is um, a question asking um, if you're feeling um, that you would um, make a fool of yourself or you're worried about making a fool of yourself in public. Social anxiety is obviously um, something that a lot of us are feeling through the results. Um, and by making some improvements to our lifestyle um, and also trying to understand where those triggers are, that's some of the ways that we can overcome that. There's something else there that has, uh, come, has come out in your survey, and that is that the number of people who are living in isolation and feel lonely has risen considerably since 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And a big finding last year was that, you know, we, we found that people enjoyed spending time alone, um, which was a bit contradictory when they also felt lonely. And what this really means, we think, is that the, the people are spending more time alone, either forced or um, through a choice of, of, of spending time alone. Um, we got used to that during COVID and um, through lockdowns, etc. But what we don't know is that we don't really understand or we, we, um, we don't realise when we've gone too far and we, we feel the effects of loneliness. So a big thing is that when we you know, isolate the uh, elements of, of, of disimprovement. So when we uh, look at things like um, exercising less and putting on more weight, it seems to be very heavily linked to people who are lonely and isolated. And so when you think about that, generally what you might do is when you meet up with friends or family, what you might do is you might tend to be more active or you might have better um, coping mechanisms. Whereas when you're on your own, um, maybe you let those things slip a little bit. That's why it's important to be to be having those those networks of, of your neighbours, of your friends and family, uh, work colleagues maybe, to um, you know have some routines and, and maybe meet up with them for a walk or um, or those types of things, which are actually more positive and have a double benefit as well. So social isolation is something we'll have to work on. Um, understanding when uh, we feel uh, lonely and and how to kind of counteract that. So it's a new skill that we have to develop and something we're, we're just not used to having kind of pre, pre-COVID as well. And we're just trying to get back to those habits and, and those routines that we, we had previously. Coming near the end here, the, the three things that you would say to anybody, irrespective of their age, what would they be to improve their health? So the first one really is around the exercise levels and the exercise levels, as we say, are are definitely decreasing. It would definitely be a matter of that having a positive impact for both our physical and our mental health. So it's one of the best treatments for mental health and making us feel a little bit better. So what I would say is we have a, through our My Life app, we have an activity challenge that just kicked off this week. It's running in October and we always have activity challenges open to the public. So all you have to do is um, search My Life by Irish Life 
um, in the app store on your phone uh, and you'll be able to take part in those and if you're an Irish Life member as well you'll also get really good rewards going forward so exercise is definitely the first one um, in terms of uh, mental health I would say that it's important to um, look for opportunities to um, support your mental health um, again we have a an, an employee assistance program called Healthy Minds uh, and this is available not for all Irish Life Health uh, members so it's an it's a, an avenue to speak to a counsellor and get support and, and really understand some of the tools and techniques that psychologists um, will provide to you to uh, improve your mental health. And it's really practical mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, free for Irish Life uh, Health members as well. The last one is around our community and our social uh, health, as you as you mentioned there, around mm-hmm. isolation. I think it's something to be aware of all the support and initiatives that are in your own community and in your own area, reaching out to your friends and taking up a new hobby together or um, getting back into something that you enjoyed previously. The fact that you have a friend to do something or a family member, you know, accountability is a really important um, element. You know, so when it's raining outside or it's dark winter, uh, a cold night, you might be less likely to do something if it's just yourself. That would I, those are the main things really in terms of um, exercise being a coverall for, for many um, different um, diseases that we want to try and prevent in future. Well, okay, Enda, we're out of time, but I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning and giving us all that good advice and some of the results of the survey. That, listeners, was... Enda Campbell, who is a strategic well-being consultant at Irish Life. Listeners, my next guest is Larkin Burke, and I usually talk to Larkin around this time every year because yesterday, believe it or not, was National Potato Day. And as you're probably all aware, that any time I'm talking to Larkin, we're talking about potatoes. Good morning, Larkin, and can you tell me a little bit about how National Potato Day was promoted across the country? Well, actually, Jim, uh, hello to your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um National Potato Day this year, uh, we decided to run uh, two sort of sets of activities. One was nationally, and then the other one was more confined to Cork. And, and it was on the basis of, of, of a, a follow-on promotion that we had last year around chipping potatoes. But for the national one message, we were talking all about potatoes being a great value for money crop, packing a nutritional punch. And we were, we were talking about... On-trend air frying, use use of air fryer and slow cooker recipes uh, to fit in with life stage lifestyle mm-hmm. and to make potatoes even more convenient. But back to cork and back to the chipping, just as a little bit of a background, chipping potatoes are about 11% of the crop. We grow about 800 hectares and the average yield will be 15, 20 tonnes per acre. Uh, it's been a difficult year in terms of harvesting all crops and every crop. But anyway, the, the background to this particular project was that it goes back maybe four or five years at this stage. Where Bordea did market research in about 2020. We looked at consumers, the chipping trade. We identified a real opportunity. Uh, we found that two and three Irish people assumed that potatoes used in the majority of Irish chip shops come from Ireland, when in fact the majority of chipping potatoes are imported into Ireland, and we decided to do something about that. As I say, we saw this as an opportunity. We saw this as an opportunity to maybe uh, talk to local growers, get them interested in chipping potatoes, uh, and then um, to present potatoes or chipping potatoes in a new way as a local food. We wanted to talk up uh, the chipper chip. 
as distinct from the frozen fry because the, the chipper chip is from a potato grown in Ireland. We wanted to tie it back to local supply chains. Board Via then were to come in behind it and support with our Board Via quality assurance. So that was the essence of the project. The project, by the way, was shared with our, our partners in the Department of Agriculture, Chagas, Board Via and the IFA. So that, that has been running over the last couple of years. And really, in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is build a reputation of the Irish chipping potatoes or the, the Irish chip, the, that the, potato, the Irish potato can do the job to make that bag of chips that you, you love on a Saturday night, you know. Last year, we started in Dublin with a chain up there who run 21 uh, chip shops up in, North, in Dublin. And we extended that this year into Cork because we knew there was the same opportunity down in Cork through Meadowfresh out in Tallow there. And mm-hmm. uh, they're tying to Dino's chipper in all around Cork City. I think there's seven or eight uh, chip shops around Cork City. So the idea was uh, that there's about 15 producers involved in this all down around the Waterford Cork area. So this was part of our building the reputation of Irish-grown potatoes as a quality uh, chipping potato up to the job. So the idea was to interest the consumer in sourcing these potatoes from within a 30-mile radius of Cork City. Uh, Obviously, you've got the benefits of low food miles, uh, uh, sustainable food products, and then we put in place branding and point-of-sale material with my colleagues in Bordia. We took photos of the, four, of the cork growers. We ran these through the chipper, through, through when people went into the chip shop to yeah. see pictures of growers now. They tie those farmers back to the local supply and the fact that their chips are now coming from the Blackwater Valley. And so, so that's the essence of the project. It's trying to, to you know, uh, link in a local supply chain into a city with this in Cork and to expand the area for Meadowfresh. The, the group of growers, that 15 group of growers, they're called the Blackwater Valley uh, Growers. And, uh, you know, this has really pushed pushed up their production over the last couple of years. And they estimate that their, their production is up about 40% on the back mm-hmm. of this project. Isn't that great? You know, uh, it's a really good story for Irish potato growers. But I, I know you and I, Lorcan, now we spoke about the Dublin distribution and the potatoes, uh, you know, uh, locally grown for the Dublin chip chip market. H- has that grown significantly since it started? Well, look, uh, we don't really have uh, firm figures on it mm-hmm. because it was based on one chip shop. But just the anecdotal... Uh, evidence would suggest uh, that it was a great surprise to a lot of those uh, local customers mm-hmm. that their chips weren't Irish in the first place, you know. The fact that, you know, as, as I said from that research, two and three Irish people thought that they were buying Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, to highlight it and to point out to them now that uh, certainly in that Dublin situation mm-hmm. there was even shorter supply chain from North County Dublin so more within a, a 15 kilometre radius of uh, all these potatoes were were ending up in, in bags of chips in North County Dublin. So yeah, on the ba- back of that, the, the report back from the chippers themselves said that it, it created a stir, and they were able to push out these messages on social media, backed up by the Board Via Quality Mark. Uh, they were very happy with it as a promotion, you know. And, yeah. And don't forget what I said. We're really trying at the start of trying to build the reputation of Ireland as being equal to. Uh, in, in terms of producing quality chipping potatoes that make comparable chips because 
historically, and I, I think uh, a lot of, just came out of the research initially too, a lot of the chippers had this idea in their head that that, that chips from abroad could only do that job and that maybe uh, Irish mm-hmm. people, uh, that Irish growers weren't as focused on it. But certainly the people down in, in Black, uh, in Meadowfresh and Blackwater Valley have a quality control focus, you know, and... Yeah. You know, they, I met the, the man himself down in, in Dino's, uh, mm-hmm. Dennis Cregan, and he said his, his view was, you're only as good as your last bag of chips. So the chippers themselves will tell you very, very quickly if you're not up to quality. So, yeah, it, it, it's a great it's a great tribute to the growers and to Meadowfresh, Blackwater Valley uh, people that are able to uh, do the job, you know. Okay, so we're really telling you, and if you're going to Cork, um, make certain sure you're going to one of these t- uh, chippers in Cork, particularly people here in Tipperary, to see how good an Irish chipped potato really is. Yes, and, and we want to start that narrative mm. around uh, the, the cities. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't by chance, like, you know, around if we pick a, a reputable chipper in Dublin and then we're, we're picking a reputable chipper in, down in Cork. Oh. And, we, 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 and, and they're making this as a point of difference. Uh, we're hoping then other people will start talking and asking, you know, well, where, where do my chips come from? And then mm-hmm. that might encourage other chippers to to uh, go to the, uh, the likes of Blackwater Valley and to uh, mm-hmm. p- put in a, a crop program and increase their scale. And that's only a yeah. great benefit to Irish farmers. Of course, and, and no doubt at all about it. And, you know, it is shocking, the... Uh, tonnage of potatoes that we import every year. Yeah, well, I mean, we estimated in, t- in 2022 that there was about 50,000 tonnes mm-hmm. of these potatoes coming into Ireland. And it, like, it was standing out as as, 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 a, as a sort of a sore tongue in terms of, well, you'd ask yourself, why can't we? We're, we're very good. We've got the best potato growers in, in the world, almost. Uh, we, we're self-sufficient mm-hmm. in our wear potatoes. We had done a project in uh, that same group on salad potatoes about yeah. five years ago, and we and we, we we got rid of those imports. So we we saw no reason that the Irish growers couldn't achieve the same in in, in terms of import substitution of that fifty thousand tons of potatoes. So you know every ton of that uh, turns into uh, euros in uh, family farms. You know all around the country. And if you can, especially if you're tying in that very local nature of the food uh, between uh, cities and the farms, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we're running out of time. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us once again, Larkin. And all I say to the chip eaters uh, who like potato chips with their fish or whatever they're they're having, when you are in Cork, will you look out for one of the Dino shops? and our chippers and savour Irish chips for a change. Keep up yeah. the good work. And again, always thanks the middle for joining us here on Tip FM. You're very welcome. Take care, Jim. Bye. Listeners, uh, my next guest this morning is Michael Summers. And some of you may know that there is a new forestry scheme has been announced by the minister. And I know Michael is to be on later on uh, sometime maybe next month or the month after, uh, to talk about forestry. But this is very important because uh, with the new scheme opening, it's very important that all farmers who wish to go into forestry know 
what this new scheme is all about and Michael is going to tell us all about it and there's going to be also a series of meetings around this new scheme and Michael is going to tell us about those as well. Good morning Michael and thanks very much for dropping in uh, to tell us all about this new forestry scheme that the Minister Pippa Hackett has announced. Good morning Jim and it's always very good to be in with you. Yes uh, the forestry scheme um, has been announced. Uh, we've been waiting for it for a while and we are running a series of meetings to uh, help farmers that may be thinking of planting uh, looking at the schemes, looking at does the land use option suit them, uh, looking at the pay rates and how it integrates with other farming schemes. There's a couple of changes. We, we're moving from grant and premium categories to what we would call um, forest types. Uh, these forest types are split into 12 different types of forest types, so they range from native woodland to forest to water, uh, to emergent woodlands, pure broadleaf, oak and beech forests, uh, agroforestry and uh, then of course the commercial one then will be the mixed high forest with with 20% broadleaves uh, will be the forest type 12 there's a, a big um, list of options for want of a better word um, for landowners I've always said over the years it's not a one size fits all or should not be a one size fits all it's, it's, it's a menu of options and it's no different in this scheme so, uh, like the scheme is up and running, there's grants and premiums now available. They range from in around 746 euros up to a little over 1100 euros per hectare, depending on the different type of forest type. Uh, there's also 20 years premium and for land for farmers. So, the qualification of farmer is going to be dealt with on the night. Uh, what qualifies as a farmer? Uh, then there's also how it integrates with other farming systems because uh, there is a, a, an interesting move that within the agroforestry both the organics and the crisp payment is also paid in that piece of ground. So again it's just opening up landowners minds to what is there. So we're kicking off next Wednesday night in Kilkenny or next Thursday night in Thurless and the following Wednesday night the 18th we're in Dungarvan. So like uh, there's three meetings within the region and uh, hopefully that uh, anybody that has an interest in planting or seeing what land use option is out there for them, at least they can make up their mind in a, in, in a clear way. You say there are changes. Previous forestry schemes, uh, we planted an awful lot of Sikta. Uh, that was the one that was commercially viable uh, for a farmer. Uh, you know, can you plant now under the new scheme 100% SICTA? Absolutely not. And there are certain things that are excluded from the new scheme. One would be the 30 centimetre depth in peat. So anything on, under, we'll roughly call it a foot of peat, is out. Uh, that's one of the big changes. There's also an awful lot more environmental restrictions on, on, on land, but the Forest Service will be discussing that on the night. And I'll be dealing with the farm schemes. Uh, but like for a lot of cases in this part of the world, we'll say the southeast and mm -hmm. the, the midlands, uh, we there wouldn't be the same environmental restrictions as there would be in the west of the country. So we have to bear that in mind as well. Uh, but there are changes. There's no question we won't be denying there are changes to the new scheme and uh, we'll be outlining what those are. And do you feel that the new scheme, and I know it won't really start paying a farmer 
until we come to Clearfell uh, as far as uh, making a lot of money out of forestry is concerned. Uh, do you think that farmers will be able to make enough of money in 30, 35 years' time under this new scheme? Well, again, like the old scheme was about producing lumber, which is slightly different. So we look at the environmental constraints in this scheme. Like, obviously, there's a big one to me is the, is the development of seed orchards, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because we are at a stage where we should be producing our own seed. That's a huge development in the new scheme. We also have um, forestry for water. Mm-hmm. And like we are living in a in a region whereby water quality wouldn't be pristine for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. And um the forestry for water is geared to help protect those water courses and help pre- prevent them um, uh flooding downstream. So uh that has been a, a welcome development under FT two. Uh there's also a, a way higher level of payment on on, on hardwoods. Uh, particularly the native hardwoods mm-hmm. and again like those have to be welcomed like if you look at the old payment over let's say around the 560 per hectare averaging out around that it's effectively almost double to where it was mm-hmm. oh, from a 15 year period to a 20 year period so like that has to come into the equation here as well and uh, like uh, again and it's the open up as well to the other farm schemes and um, the they're there and uh, we will go through them all individually. Okay, before I let you go then, give us the three dates and the three nights again uh, when uh, these meetings are taking place. Well, the meetings are kicking off at half seven every night. So next Wednesday night, the 11th, we're in Kilkenny. Next Thursday night, we're in Turles. And the following Wednesday night, we're in Dungarvan. We're down in the hotel there in Dungarvan. And if anybody has any queries, you can just give the officers a shout and I'll, um, I, 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 I'll uh, most certainly will get back to them. So uh, that's where we are. OK, well, look, Michael, thanks a minute for dropping in. And I sincerely hope you'll have three great meetings, two next week and one the week after. Thank you very much, Jim. That listener was Michael Summers, a forestry advisor with Chagas. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Victor Quinlan, and Victor is with me to talk about the Clonmel Show Bursary for 2023-24. Good morning, Victor, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim, and thanks for having me indeed. Okay, it is bursary time again. Tell us about it. Bursary time again. Uh, we put up a sort of a fund of about 15,000 or maybe a bit more if there's enough applications. In and we uh, award bursaries based on three independent judicators deciding how to award that money or how to allocate that money. First of all, I suppose, you, where you live, Jim, it, you're outside the region because, in fact, we uh, we actually, the, the bursary is only available to people in a 20-mile radius of Clanmel itself, which takes you to Dungarv and it takes you to uh, just, C- just north of Horst and Jockey or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But basically, uh, they, all the rules and regulations are available on the Clamwell Show, www.clamwellshow.ie slash bursary. There'll be one bursary reserved for a sustainability-type project. Now, these, these bursaries will be awarded to people at, at home farming who have, want to do a feasibility study or start a new project, or also to people who are studying. In fact, I suppose, in fairness, we're at 11 years. This is the 12th year. Most of the people who actually would have got the bursaries were actually studying, and uh, it was the, it was there to help their studies or further their studies or whatever. But at this stage, 
we have uh, investors, as you can well imagine, in excess of 120,000 mm-hmm. in investors over the last 12 years. And uh, we, believe, we believe that it has done a lot of good. We meet a number of the people. And, of course, the other side is the, the what's in it for Thomas show. Well, a number of those who get purses come back and help us to organise the show. We don't demand it. We don't insist on our ideas. Yeah. But a number of the people feel that they'd like to give something back. And, and either themselves or their parents or their brothers or whatever, our sisters come along and they are offer to help at the show time. And that's very much appreciated as well. But we do not in any way insist upon her or whatever. Basically, I suppose the important one is Friday the 27th of October is deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything has to be submitted online. And the application form is available to download it from online. We would uh, ask people to get in their applications if, if, they're, if they're interested in doing it in time because the deadline is midnight on the 27th of October. Right. So they basically have three weeks to fill in the form and get it into you or get it in online to you for appraisal by the judges. Correct. Okay. And I mean, it's important also to find out. Like we obviously we what we're looking for is projects which come and show in their sort of uh, fundamental reasons. In other words, promoting agriculture, horticulture, aquaculture, uh, silviculture, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, equine. Any of the various things that people are involved in. Um, the, the whole lot. The ethos of the show, really. That's really what you yes, want. Yes, yes. The further the ethos, the show further. And as, in fairness, the people who set up the show back in 150 years ago. They actually incorporate those in their original um, articles, right. and we're still we're still working through them. And and the the the, the, the are sort of aimed at promoting those ideals at whatever at whatever stage it is in third level, or even occasionally in fourth level, where people are going ahead and doing a PhD okay. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we have two or three in, over the last number of years who actually use it to help their PhD studies. Okay, now. Give out the website address again so people will know. Yeah, the website, everything has to be online. Uh, that's important. Applications are online and the, the, the application form is online. And that's all available at www.clonmelshow.ie slash bursary. And everything is there, including the terms and conditions, uh, the map that shows you whether you're eligible or ineligible within that 20 mile radius. And also the application forms, and uh, and remind, I want to remind people again that the closing date is Friday the 27th of October. Well, look at Victor, thanks for joining us. I know I caught you out in the field uh, to have a chat with us. But listeners, if any one of you have a really good idea, why not uh, put in an application for the bursary? You never know, you could be the winner. Before I sign off this morning, I just want to let you all know that my walk for Embrace Farm raised €4,710. A big thanks to everybody who contributed. That, listeners, is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Wire presents Down Your Way.